All right, we're in week number two. I just realized I was humming in the mic. I'm sorry if you heard me humming to the song. I apologize. No one should have to experience that. I'm sorry. I had I had it turned on. I didn't realize it. Um, okay, so we're in week number two of this series called The Covenant. Um, and we kind of uh, began by talking about this scale. Um, we said all world religions have a scale of some sort spiritually. Even some of these, some religions that call themselves Christians that really aren't Christian, they have a scale as well. And we went beyond that to say that there are even some true Christian churches that have the very same scale or very similar scale. And let me tell you what I mean. It's a scale that says I have to do everything I can to be good. So we do all of these things trying to be good. But there's a reason why we're trying to tip the scale in our favor. And the reason really, oops, <laughs> my scale crashed. The reason really is this, because we have on this other side these bad things we've done. And, and so we have to keep trying to do good things to tip the scale in our favor to make up for the bad. That's what all the world religions are doing, and that's even what some Christian churches teach as well. But let's think about this for a moment. Even in our country that we live in right now, that our cities, our states, our counties, our country, we all have rules that we have to live by. Now, most Americans will live their entire lives without ever getting arrested for breaking a law. Most Americans will never be arrested for breaking the law. So we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good on my scale there. I've got it tipped in my family. I'm doing pretty good because I'm not going to get arrested. Now, I might get a traffic ticket. I, I might, you know, that might move the scales a little bit. So let's swip, swap this over because we're going to say that's the bad side there. But, you know, I might, I might get you know, I might get a traffic ticket and that's going to, but I, you know, soon I'll have that paid. I'll make up for that, that, that I'm going to be okay. If I'm real careful for the next six months, I can keep that scale for my country tipped in my direction, in my favor. I'm doing pretty good. I'm keeping the law. I'm tipping the scale in my favor. Now, the consequence of tipping the scale the other direction, if I break a law, like if I get a speeding ticket, I'm going to get a fine. It's going to be a financial penalty. Um, and if it's bad enough, I might lose some freedom. You know, I might I might have to go to jail. I might you know, you, you might lose some freedom if you do the wrong thing. You might lose some years if you do the wrong thing. And, and if it's really bad, then you might lose all of your years and you're there forever, but you're still alive unless you do the really, really bad thing and then you lose your life. So there are some penalties involved. But for most Americans, we will never have to worry beyond just a slight fine. That's about all we're going to have to worry about, a parking ticket, a, a traffic violation, just some small fines, and we can get those taken care of. 
our daily lives are going to be fine. They're going to be uninterrupted. Everything goes back. I mean, we can tip the scale back in our favor again. Even if you lose some years of your life and you get incarcerated, when you get back out, you can work really hard just to tip the scale back in your favor as being a good citizen and contributing to society, not breaking the, the laws, right? The big laws for sure. Now, this is a very general, broad concept of our laws here in the country. They are designed broadly, generally, for a very specific purpose, and that's to keep you safe, to keep you safe from yourself and from doing something too stupid, to keep you physically safe, but it's also designed to keep your neighbor safe from you. Um, that's kind of how the laws are designed, to keep your neighbor's property safe, to keep them safe. It's all designed to keep you from harming them and also to keep you from harming yourself. And then for those who are working, it's designed for them then to pay the bills for all of that to happen. Now, okay, so we obey the laws. We, we want to keep the scale in this country tipped in our favor so that we don't have to worry about going to jail, right? So we want to keep the scale tipped in our favor. The reality is this in our country. You don't even have to obey all the laws. You, you don't have to obey all the laws. You just need to keep the scales tipped in your favor. So really, I guess we could say, really, we just have to obey the big ones, right? We have to obey the big laws. You, you don't want to go steal your neighbor's TV. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. But you can probably get away with stealing from your boss, you know, by kind of kind of altering the hours you actually worked, you know, 15, 20 minutes. You don't want to steal your neighbor's TV, but you can steal some little things that maybe people won't notice. That's kind of the way society works. Um, you don't want to run over your boss with your truck. That's that's not going to be a good thing for you or your boss. And so, but you can drive over the speed limit on your way to work. That's probably going to be okay. You're not going to go to jail for that probably. No one expects you, as we talk about this, no one really expects you to keep all of the country's laws. They just want you to keep the really big ones, the important ones. You can play around with those little laws. You can kind of mess around with those a little bit. You don't have to always stop completely when you come to a stop sign. Sometimes you can roll through and you'll be okay. Um, you just don't want to injure somebody. You don't want to tip that scale because then it gets more serious. The inconvenient laws, well, they don't really matter, right? We don't have to do all that. And overall, even if we don't keep the little bitty inconvenient laws, we can still look at ourselves and say, I'm a law-abiding citizen, mostly, because we're keeping most of the laws. Now, that's how it works in our country. That's how it works. But when we look at things spiritually, the spiritual scale that's a different story. We said that the world religions all have their scale. And they're trying to keep the scale tipped in their favor so that one day when they eat, meet the end of their life, or, or some, for some of them during their lives, they can achieve paradise based upon a God or based upon themselves. They can achieve that, but it's all based upon the scale. And we said even some Christian churches today even still teach 
the scale with our God. Now last week I told you this, that if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to worry about the scale. I clearly said that last week, but now I want to say this this week. That's not entirely true. Now, in the context of what I said last week, if you missed it, please go back and listen to it on SoundCloud. In the context of what I said, yes, it was entirely true. But today, I'm kind of taking it out of context, and I'm taking just the scale alone, and I'm telling you, when you look at just the scale, the spiritual scale of our good versus our bad, it's not entirely true that you can ignore the scale. And you say, okay, Harley, this is confusing to me. So what is it, Harley? Does, does, God, does God hold us to the scale, or does God give us a free pass? And I can answer that. Yes. And as my dad would say, wow, that is clear as mud. <laughs> but we're going to work this morning to help clear that up so you can understand it. So let's get started. We're going to try to answer that question this morning. But before we do, I want to give you some context like we did last week. We're talking about a God, as the Bible describes God, who knows everything. God knows all. We're also talking about a God who has all power in this world, in this universe, in creation, all power. We're talking talking about a God as described by the Bible who is ever present and we're talking about a God as described by the Bible who uh, who does not change he's immutable now this God that I just described to you decided he wanted to create a world and he did. He decided he wanted to put people on this world to create them. They didn't exist. To create the people, put them on the wor world, and that's what he did. Now, because God is all-knowing, he knew what was going to happen to these people that he created, and he knew that they were not going to play along. From the very beginning, God knew this, and so from the very beginning, the Bible teaches us that God already had a plan in place to redeem, to rescue His creation. This is all the way back before He even created. He already knew how it was going to play out, and so He had this plan ready to go. So let's look at this timeline. James is going to help us here on the screen. Watch this timeline. It's, it's going to get us started. So here we go. It started with Adam. God created the first man. Put him here on earth. Didn't go so well with Adam. He's the very first one created, and he blew it. So we're going to put a big X there on Adam. He messed up royally, but don't, don't be too hard on him. We have to as well. But if you go from Adam... If you go several generations, nine generations from Adam, we get our next guy there, Noah. And God decided to kind of restart with Noah. Now this series is called The Covenant, and God actually had a covenant with Noah, uh, but we're not gonna, that's not included in what we're talking about in teaching in this series. But the next guy from Noah, uh, take Noah, and I think uh, ten generations from Noah is this guy that we did start with last week, Abraham. Now, God had an amazing blood covenant with Abraham. We talked about that last week, and here's basically what God said. He said, Abraham, 
I want you at 75 years of age, I want you to move to a land that I'm going to tell you. So you get going and I'll just tell you when to stop. I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation. Now this is interesting because Abraham at 75 years old had zero, zero children. So he had some room, he had, he had some work he had to do to get this thing, whole thing going. And, and God said, when you do have this great nation that I'm going to give you, he said, they are eventually going to be enslaved. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. And then, um, but one day I'll free them and they're going to come back to this land that I'm going to give you. And that is all part of this covenant that God made with Abraham. And we talked about this last week, I encourage you to go listen to that. Now, for Abraham, all of these things were beginning to happen. They did. His descendants, he did have many descendants. They became a nation, and they did. They ended up being slaves, just like God said. And now six generations after Abraham, we come to the guy that we're going to be talking about today. Six generations later, put him on the screen for me, James. His name is Moses. Six generations after Abraham, we have this new guy. Now God is deciding to use Moses, Moses, because just as God said with Abraham, they were going to be slaves for 400 years. And that's where we pick it up here with Moses and these, these, this whole nation, all descendants of Abraham were slaves. And God is going to use Moses as a leader. And he's going to free all of these descendants of Abraham, and he's going to free them from the Egyptians. And these Israelites, these, these Hebrews, they saw amazing things. They saw those ten plagues. Maybe you've seen about it. Maybe you watched that on TV. The ten plagues, they saw that happen. Then, then as God freed them, they saw the Red Sea part, and, and they passed through actually on dry ground. Another amazing thing. And God confirms his presence with them, this nation, over and over and over again. With Moses as the leader, he confirms that. And he, he says, you know, you are a special chosen people for me. And this is where we pick up the story. The Israelites, this nation has just passed through the Red Sea. Two months later, we find them uh, freed from Egypt, and now God has stopped them on their journey uh, at the base of a mountain, and he has them stop. He has them pause, really, is a better word. He said, I want you to pause right here, and this is where we pick up the story. James will have it on the screen for us. Exodus chapter 19, we're going to start with verse 1. Read along here with me. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. Now verse 3, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Now these were all, the family of Jacob is another way to say the descendants of Abraham. It's also another way to say the Israelites. Let me explain that in just a moment. He said, give these instructions to this nation, the family of Jacob, announce to the descendants of Israel. So let me tell you why that is, it could be a little confusing. Abraham had some sons, had a son, really, that we're going to follow here, and his son had some children. So uh, one of these children's name was Jacob. Now Jacob is a grandchild 
to Abraham. So it's in this line of Abraham. Now God changed Abram's name to Abraham. And now he takes his grandchild, Jacob, and he changes Jacob's name, God does, changes Jacob from Jacob to Israel. And so, quite literally, that is why the nation of Israel are called Israelites. Um, You almost could call them Jacobites. But God changed the name from Jacob to Israel. So they are Israelites. So we're not really, when we say Israel, we're really not talking about a piece of ground. Although it is the piece of ground that God promised Abraham. When we say Israel, we're not talking really about geography. We're talking about a people group. A group of people, all sons of, children of Israel, who is Jacob, who is the grandson of who? Abraham. They're all part of God's promise to Abraham. So now let's go to verse 4. He says, I want you to take these instructions to the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. He's talking here to the people. You saw me, God is saying. You saw me. I acted on your behalf. I showed myself strong. I changed your lives. He's saying to the children of Israel. I've changed your lives. I punished the Egyptians. You saw me do that, he's saying. Now let's go on. He said, you know how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. In other words, children of Abraham, children of Jacob, Israel, you saw it. You were there. I did these things, God is saying, to help you. And I want you to believe me, God would be saying to them. And now he says this, you are safely with me. I took you out of slavery. I I brought you to myself. You are on my side. And now he's saying to them, I want you to stop your journey. Pause for just a moment right here at this mountain. Because before I can take you any further toward this land, I've promised you. Before I can take you any further, listen to me, he says, Israelites, let's make a deal. Before we go any further, verse 5. Now... God is speaking to them. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. Now, today we read that, you and me, and we say, wait a minute, God. That's not fair. Why them? I mean, what about us? Are we special too? What's going on here? Now, this is part of our understanding here. God, God is God. And God gets to do as he wishes and as he chooses. And he created Adam. And what did Adam do? He blew it. And we look at that and we say, well, thanks, Adam. Thanks a lot. But we can't be too harsh on him because we blow it too. We we just picked up where he left off and we've done mighty fine on our own. We blow it too. So... God is creator of all. And think with me just for a moment. Do you know some creative people? Have you seen, maybe if you don't, you've seen some on TV, right? Creative people we know, they're just weird, right? I mean, let's be honest. I I am one. I'm weird. (laughs) Creative people are strange. They're weird. They don't do anything normal. 
They don't, they, they don't do things normal. You're normal. They're not normal. Now think with me for a moment. God, the most creative being ever, you don't get more creative than God. Do you expect God to do what the normal average person might do? I don't think so. God has the most amazing, creative, saving plan, and he sets it in motion, and he reminds them, after all, I'm God, and I can choose to save you any way I choose. And it goes on. He says, for all the earth belongs to me. God says, I'm the creator. I'm the owner. It belongs to me. Now, it's as though these descendants of Abraham, these children of his grandson Israel, it's as though God is setting into motion his saving plan already. Look at verse 6. And you, he talks to these people, these Israelites, these children of Abraham, children of his grandson Israel, he says, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So he was talking to Moses, and Moses was to pass this on to the people. So here's what God is doing. He's presenting them with some scales. He says, you must obey my commands. That is your job, to tilt the scale in your favor by doing everything I've told you to do. This is the agreement. This is my standard. Will you agree to do it? If you do that, I will make you a holy people, this holy nation, a nation of priests. Will you do that? Will you keep my commands? And then I'll keep my part. And then Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. Moses then went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations that the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, We, God, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So they say, yes, God, we will do that. You give us the scale. We will meet it. We will do everything you've commanded. Sign us up. We are in. We are with you. We will do everything. Every, not like the United States where you can do the big things and then we can just do all the little things we want. We don't really have to obey the little laws. No, they said, God, give them all to us. We will do everything. We will do it all. Meet it all. And then the Bible tells us that Moses wrote down all the instructions, not some, he wrote them all down that God had given him. And then he built an altar and then he selected bulls for an offering and the covenant with God that they were making, the nation, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, that they were making with God, this covenant, they would seal that covenant with blood. Verse 6. 
Moses drained half the blood from these animals into the basins, and the other half he splattered against the altar. In other words, God got his share of blood, he put it on the altar, and then with the other half, uh, verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant, what he had just written down, basically, basically what we have in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, basically he wrote down the, the instruction out of those, he wrote that down, uh, the book of the covenant, and read it aloud to the people, and again, look what the people said, they resounded, yes. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. We will tilt the scale completely by obeying you, God. Now, they're making a covenant with God. Interesting, though, God started it. God's the one who presented it. He said, listen, I want you to be my people. And so he gave it. He said, if you will do this then this will happen and you will be my people. God presented them with the covenant. He said, I'm going to protect you. I'll take care of you if you will agree and do everything I command. Everything. And at this point, then in this ceremony, it becomes a blood covenant. Now, last week we looked at Abraham's blood covenant with God. Now, here's a difference. Because with Abraham... God said, I'm going to do it all. Abraham, all you have to do is sit back there. Just believe me. Just trust me. I'm going to do the work, though. I'm going to provide this covenant. It's going to happen based upon nothing you're going to do. And that's what God did. So Abraham didn't really have to do anything. Just sit back there and believe that God's really going to do it. In this case, God said, there's two parts to this covenant with the Israelites, with these children of Abraham, children of Israel. He said, there's two parts. I'm going to do my part if you do your part, he said. I'm going to do my part, but you have to do your part. Two parts to this covenant. Interesting. Two parties, two parts. God said, I will take care of you, but you must keep your part. You must do everything that I've commanded. Follow me completely, God said. Now, in a covenant, if either party does not fulfill their part of the covenant, the covenant's off. So listen to what happened. Verse 8. Then Moses took the blood from the basins. Now this is the blood from the sacrificed animals. And he splattered it over the people. So God had his part of the blood covenant. And now all of the nation of Israel has their part of the blood covenant. And he declared, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. And now here's what happens. After they were done with that, God calls Moses back up to the top of the mountain And now God, see Moses had written down everything God said, but now God wants to give him something special. God himself writes out the commands on stone tablets. And that's where he's up on the mountain and he's receiving these from God. Now, while he's gone, Moses puts Aaron, his older brother, in charge. 
of everybody. Now, Aaron has been with Moses from nearly the very beginning of this. And so Aaron, he, he's used to being in charge at different times. And so this is no big deal for him. So Aaron is in charge of the people. Moses climbs up to the top of the mountain. And Moses, the Bible tells us he was gone. He was actually gone for more than a month. He was gone. And finally, this happens in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, that's the older brother of Moses, and they said this, Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Now this just happens to be crazy, crazy. They just promised God about four weeks ago that they were going to follow God and follow God alone. And it goes on. We don't know what happened to this fella. This fella, like they just, this guy walked up on the street. We don't know what happened to this fella, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Verse 2, it gets even crazier. So Aaron, brother of Moses, older brother, said, okay, okay, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Aaron was like, okay, 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 let's do it. Now, to that, we look and we would say, what? Whoa, Aaron, are you crazy? Aaron, who was the voice of Moses. Moses was like afraid to speak in public. And so God said, well, here, let Aaron say it for you. Aaron, who was the voice of Aaron, who saw and experienced everything, basically most everything that Moses had experienced. All of these miracles. And now, and now he's acting stupid along with everyone else. Verse 3. And the people took the gold rings from their ears and they brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how the people were excited, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, Tomorrow, tomorrow will be a festival, festival, not festival, a festival to the Lord. Because Aaron was really a good speaker, he wouldn't have said festival. The people got up early the next morning, it says, to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And this, they, after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Which is a very polite way to say it turned into a sex fest. They're just trying to be very nice. Verse 7. Back up to the mountain. The Lord told Moses, Quick! Go down the mountain! Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9, then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious 
these people are. And in the next moment, God tells Moses that he's going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And now Moses talks with God, has an exchange, and God now sends Moses down the mountain with the stone tablets that God has written. He sends him down the mountain. And when Moses sees what the people are doing, he sees it with his own eyes. He gets so angry, he smashes the tablets on the ground. And then, get this, verse 20. He took the calf they had made, this gold calf. This is Moses. He's angry. He took the calf they made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. He is mad. Finally, he turned to Aaron, his older brother, and demanded, You must have been tortured. I mean, something bad must, they must have held you under the water until you were about to die to make you do this. He's saying that, here's what he said. What did the people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? And here's Aaron, verse 22. Um, Don't get so upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you, you yourself know you know how evil and how stubborn, you know yourself how evil these people are. Verse 23, they said to me, so he gives him a play-by-play. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what's happened to this fellow Moses who brought us for here from the land of Egypt. So I, I told them, Moses, I told them, well, well, then he said, whoever, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And they brought it to me. Moses, this is what happened. I promise, I promise, I promise. I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. It's a miracle of God. They blew it. Uh, they blew it. You know what happens after that? God gets. God is angry. Now, he didn't wipe them off the face of the earth, but his hand comes down in punishment upon these people. Many of them died. Many of them got sick. And then God tells Moses to take the people, take these people to the land that I have promised Abraham in his covenant. Take these people from here. Take them to that land. And God gives this nation of Israel, these children of Israel, these children of Abraham, he gives them another shot at keeping the covenant. And here's how he words this. I love this. Exodus 33. Listen to this. Verse 3. Go to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did travel with you, he said, if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. It would be God swatting in the back seat as he's driving them 
to the promised land. He said, I'm not going to be driving. I'm not going to be among you. You take them. Take them. Now here's what God did. God gave them 613 laws. And he said, you must obey. Tilt the scale. Now this is where it gets pretty interesting. Because we think, well, if I do most of them, I'll be okay. But God said, I want you to do all, all of them. Every one. And so, the, you know, we think of ourselves, okay, so let's do some. Look how the scale is tilted. Let's do some. Yay, we're doing some. We're doing so good, God. Yay, us. But here's the problem. He said, I want you to do all 613. And if you do any wrong, <laughs> that was so wrong it bounced out. If you do any wrong, he said, they're all wrong. He said, I want you to do every one. Every one. Wow. So here's, here's the thinking here. Now, if we couldn't do when there was just one law, with Adam in the garden, just one law. If we couldn't achieve fulfilling one law, how are we going to fulfill 613 laws? How? You see, today in our country, we can get away with doing just the big ones. We have wiggle room with our laws here in the country. Don't kill anybody. But it's okay to speed a little. But with God's laws, he said, keep every single one. Every one. And he says, this scale applies to everyone. Keep every single one. Not just tipping the scale in your favor. Here the law is perfection. The law is God's standard. Now, think with me. God knew what would happen with Adam when he had just one law, and Adam blew it. He knew that was going to happen. And God also knew what was going to happen with the Israelites. So why would he give them 613 laws when they couldn't handle one? And here's why. We find the answer. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Paul is writing here. He says, obviously, the law applies to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right by God by doing what the law commands. 
the law simply shows us how sinful we are. And God summarizes it right there. Why, when Adam blew one law, did he turn around and give the Israelites 613? And the answer is this, because he knew they would fail. He knew it, and he wanted it to be so apparent, not just to the Israelites, but to the entire world. We are all guilty, and we will never, ever, ever be able to be good enough to earn our way into God's presence, into heaven ever, never, ever with the scale. Why? Because the issue is not, have you made up for what you did wrong? The issue is there can be no sin on this side at all. And yet for all of us, no matter how good we are, there is the presence of sin in our lives. And God said, the reason I gave you 613 laws was so that you could thoroughly know you have failed and you can never make up for it in what you do. Suddenly, it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? God knew. It was there to accentuate, to put an exclamation point on the fact that we have missed God's standard. And His standard is perfection. His standard is that me and that you, that we are holy like God is holy. Not holy according to the person beside us. I'm holy, more holy than they are. No, it's holy compared to God's holy. And we have all missed it. And we can never make up for it by what we do. You see, Jesus did not dismiss this law of God. Jesus showed up on earth to do this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 Jesus speaking, don't misunderstand, he said, why I came. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. He says, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus said this, I showed up to meet the requirements of the law. What are the requirements of the law? Perfection. It's not that Jesus did more good than he did bad. It's that there was no evil, no sin at all on this scale. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Perfect holiness. Jesus is saying this law will never save you and it was never meant to save you. You try to fill your life and your scale with good things. You do more good things. You try and you put them on, but you will never tilt the scale in your favor. Because you have the presence of sin. But he says, you know, you can have an option here. He said, I came to fulfill this scale for you. 
and to meet it perfectly for you. But you have an option. You don't have to choose my way. You can choose to reject Jesus and say, no, 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 I'm going to go with my chances of filling the scale and trying to be good. He said, you can go without direction. I'll give you permission to reject me and go with the scale. But he's telling us in advance, you will never ever, ever be able to tip the scale in your favor with the good things you've done because there is sin on this side. I'm hoping you're understanding this. It's not how much good you can do. The thing that will condemn you is the fact that there is any sin at all on this side. And Jesus is saying in advance, I'll let you reject my plan and you can go with the scales and roll the dice and try. But I'm going to tell you in advance how it's going to turn out. You have already sinned. You've already failed. The scale has already judged you. You are guilty. But he says, I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose. And that is why Jesus, God Himself, He showed up on this earth to fulfill the law for us because we never could. And in fact, Jesus says, listen, everything that has been written in the Old Testament, he said everything in the book of the law and everything that the prophets have said, he said, Jesus said, wait, wait, listen, it's all about me. It's all pointing to me. Jesus, in John chapter 5, verse 39, listen to what he says. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. In other words, you think the scales, the law can save you. But the reality is, no, no, no. These laws simply point toward me because I'm going to come fulfill them for you. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the the scriptures point to me. He says, it's all about me, Jesus. I'm God in the flesh. It's all about God's plan to save his creation. Verse 46, if you really believed Moses... In other words, what Moses has written, have you really believed Moses? You believe me because Moses wrote about me. Those first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament written by Moses, he said, yes, all of those are about me. Now, flash forward. Flash forward. Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb. And now, after he walked out of the tomb, very shortly after that, he walks with a a couple of guys down the road. And as he's doing that, he gives them a Bible study while they walk. And he walks them through the Old Testament. Listen, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses 
and the prophets. So he's taking them through the whole Old Testament, through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from the scriptures themselves, from the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, he says, I have been here the whole time. This whole thing has led to this moment, and it is all about me. All of that law, it's about me. It's pointing to me. The whole story of the Old Testament law and the prophets and the story of Israel, your your grandfathers and their journeys, it is all there for one reason. Jesus said, to point you to me. Matthew 5, verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And how was its purpose achieved? It was achieved by Jesus himself because he had no presence of sin in his life at all. And he kept the law perfectly, which means this. Now, the law was the path to righteousness. But guess what? No one could keep it, so no one was righteous. And now Jesus kept it for us on our behalf. And now the path of righteousness, the path to God, is not through the law. It is through Jesus Christ, who is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. The ultimate goal of the law was this. That we would see how we have failed. And we would look to Christ. Not that we would look to try to do better and to keep the law. No. That we would look to Jesus who met every single requirement of the law on our behalf because we failed. Romans 10 verse 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all, not some, not those who just hope hope enough. No, all who believe in him are made right with God. You see, the whole time the law has just been there to prepare us to realize our need for Jesus who would meet the requirements of the law for us. You see, it's not that this side needs to be heavier than this side. It's that there can be nothing at all in this sin side, nothing. And that's what Jesus did for us. Here's our bottom line this morning. The law was given to prove we couldn't meet its requirements. Are you still trying to tip the scales in your favor? Now we're wrapping this up. Think about this. The law shows us that the scales are forever tipped against us. So that's why Jesus met that for us. Now, if you're trying to still be good enough to earn God's love or to keep God's love, then you're focusing on what you are doing 
And Jesus is saying, do not focus on what you can do. Focus on what I did because that's done. Focus on done. My question this morning as we close. Are you still trying to tip the scales in your favor? And if you are, I just simply want to say this. Will you just get to know Jesus? Give him your life. He bought it on the cross and now surrender it to him. Because he met the requirements for you. And this morning, as I am speaking to you, will you hear if God is saying, yes, that's what you need to do. If you hear that saying, yes, I need to do that. I need to give God this life. I've been trying to tip the scale. I've been trying to earn God's love. I've been trying to keep God's love. And you just simply need to surrender this entire life and say, God, you bought it. It is yours. It belongs to you. I was the owner. I've been making my decisions for me, but I now give this life to you. You bought it on the cross. It is yours. But God's going to allow you to choose to reject him if you want. And you can go for the scales yourself, but he's already told you the outcome. You can never tip the scale in your favor, no matter how. If you did not sin one more time from today forward, it doesn't matter how good you are because you have had sin in your life and you cannot get rid of it. And if you want to go with the scales, then you're going to have to go with the scales. But Jesus says, I don't want you to go with the scales. I want you to go with me. I did this for you. I died for you. Are you still living by trying to tip the scales? Will you get to know this Jesus? Some of you this morning, you just simply need to say this, Jesus, yes, I want to submit this life. And you don't have to say a special prayer. You don't have to do a special thing. If in your heart right now you are saying, yes, Jesus, I want to submit this life to you right now, then that's what's happening. He is taking ownership of your life this very moment. As you leave today, I have a thing on the next steps table. You have to walk around it to get out. It's right there. And it says, next steps first steps. Take the first steps. It's going to explain what it means to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, to become a Christ follower. Take that with you today. Now, if you have already submitted your life to Christ, then maybe you need to say this to him, God, I have submitted my life to you, but I have been focusing on trying to earn your love by being good. And so you have reverted back to the scales. And to you I say this. You simply need to stop focusing on being good and start focusing on Jesus, your Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, you tell us that you came to accomplish the purpose of the law. And as a result... All who believe in you, who submit their lives to you, are made right with God. Not because of what they've done, but it's because of what you, God, have done for us. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Messiah, we pray. Amen.